0: Hello, everyone. This is your host, Tim Finan. Welcome to another special episode of our podcast. On Friday evening of last week, I had the honor of hosting a candidates forum for the five candidates running for the two open seats on the Milford School Board. The candidates participating in the forum were Judy Zano, Rick Wood, Mike McLean, David Wilson, and Joe Vitulli. We had a great forum with lots of interesting and relevant questions addressed. And now we bring you the 2020 Milford School Board Candidates Forum. Welcome to the 2020 Milford School Board Candidates Forum. My name is Tim Finan and I have the distinct honor of moderating this event. We have five candidates this year vying for two open seats on the board. The format tonight will be very simple. Each candidate will be given the opportunity to introduce themselves and to tell us a little bit about who you are. Following that, I will ask a series of questions to each candidate. Every candidate will answer the same questions, one by one. I'll. Um, I'll proceed in a round-robin format so that everyone will get a chance to go first and last, um, so, um, so we'll be fair in that regard. And finally, after we're done, <clears throat> we will give each candidate the uh, opportunity to give a final statement. Uh, before I start, I want to recognize George Hoyt and Wade Campbell for organizing this event. Tonight's event is being broadcast live on Granite Town Media Channel 21 and is being streamed live on the Milford Residents Facebook group. Following this event, the recording of this form will be made available from Granite Town Media and an audio-only version will be available from Granite Town Media's podcast, Inside Milford. I also want to ask the audience to refrain from any sort of applause or other reactions to any candidate or their statements. Each of these candidates deserve our profound thanks and respect for stepping forward to offer their time for the greater good of our community. So let's all show them the respect they deserve. So with that, why don't we begin our state opening statements. Why don't we begin with you, Judy, and then we'll proceed this way.
1: Okay, thanks, Tim. I'm Judy Zeno, and I've been a resident of Milford for 32 years. My husband and I have been married for 41 years, shockingly, it seems, um, and we have always uh, talked about and been committed to the public good. And so I feel like this is an opportunity for me to be able to step forward and do that. as a Um, Well, excuse me, as a resident of Milford, um, I have enjoyed a beautiful community with wonderful people and loved raising both of our children here and our grandson and granddaughter and um, another member to be named in the summer. Um, I served as an educator in town for 21 years and enjoyed every moment of that. I have, as a social studies teacher, I told my students that the most important thing you could do is to get involved. For most of us, that means to vote. If we have the opportunity to get involved past that, and we want to, that's really what we should do in order to keep a really robust democracy. So that's what I'm doing here this evening, and thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Rick? Good evening. Thank you uh, for hosting this. Uh, My name is Rick Wood. And I am running for school board uh, because I want to continue the great work that's happening in the Milford School District. Um, I have uh, some experience uh, on the school budget committee for about eight years. I've been a member of the board for the last six months, which has been uh, enlightening and uh, educational. Um, I've been asked, you know, why, why is it that you want to run for the board? And believe it or not, when I the appointed position back in August I had no intention on running for the board Um, over the last six months I've learned an awful lot about what's going on learned a lot about where our district is headed and I'm very excited about where the districts headed and I want to see that continue Uh, my background is I uh, have been a public servant if you will for the last 30 plus years Uh, retired out of the fire service and currently work in higher education Um, my background is in safety and uh, I am an instructor uh, nationally, and have taught in, I don't know, about 18 different states. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, the discussion tonight. And hopefully, it uh, seems like it keeps cutting out. Sorry, Tim. Hopefully, uh, you'll get to hear a lot about uh, who each of us is and, and you know our thoughts. So thank you again.
3: David. Hi, Tim. Good evening, Milford. My name is David Wilson. I'm your next candidate for the Milford School Board. I'm a 23-year resident, sorry, 20-year resident with Milford with my wife, Kathy, 23 years. I wanna make sure I get those two right. <laughs> <laughs> we have two children. Uh, my son is a senior and my daughter is a sophomore at Milford High School. My wife, Kathy, is a teacher in special education in the London Dairy School District uh, and soon will complete her doctorate in education with a focus on curriculum and instruction. As a family, we have experienced the best of many opportunities available through the help and dedication of our educators, support staff, and administration. I'm running for a seat on your school board so I can work for you, the citizens of Milford, to ensure your students and the educational staff and supports have the best possible academic and employment options available starting day one. I've worked for over 20 years in personal finance, helping people plan and provide For their futures and for their loved ones this has provided me the skill will and determination to address our district's needs and restores milford's collective reputation for providing a first class 21st century education i have dedicated much time and effort to become familiar with our financial side of our school district uh, as a two-year member of the budget advisory committee i am well known as a champion in sponsoring initiatives that focus on community engagement i am a uh, participant advisory group member for the high school ATC program I have been quite active with our high schools uh, football and cheer uh, booster team Uh, and just recently they voted me in as vice president I've coached Special Olympics basketball for the past four years and uh, I'm proud of our town I'm proud of our schools and our students and our educational staff, and I'm always gonna be a strong voice for re and reinforcing the abilities of our district. Thank you. Mike.
4: Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Mike McLean. I am running for school board um, for, uh, you know, for the children here. I spend uh, a lot of time with the kids in Milford, um, you know, through the football program, um, you know, and I believe that they need an advocate for them to look at what's best for them. Um, and I feel strongly about that. I feel strongly about um, education and I want to push them to be able to have an opportunity to exceed, uh, you know, exceed expectations and to really set up their careers for their life. Um, A little bit about me, I've uh, been married for 15 and a half years now and so my wife Jen, and we have two kids in the system, uh, 13 and 11 years old. Uh, they're in the school system here. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time sports, big sports family, and um, you know, it's, this this is for them and all the their friends and all the other kids. Um, you know, I believe we can do exceed new heights, and I'm willing to try to push to get to those heights.
5: Great, thanks, Joe. Hi my name is Joe Vitulli i um, been a resident here for 16, 16 years with my wife my son is in the goes through the high school and project drive he's in special ed I've enjoyed my experience with this town with the special ed department I think it's run very well uh, I've been a teacher for the last 16 21 years in Brookline uh, Spent, prior to that I spent 13 years in the Marine Corps. I love being a, working for the, doing my civil duty. I am a member of the, of Troop 407 as a scout leader. And I want to expand my knowledge and how the school board is running in here. And looking at school board meetings, I've seen some of the discontent. And I think leadership is the issue. And I want to step in. And use my experience
0: all right thank you very much all right jump right into the questions the first one will go to you Rick because Judy um, had the first opening statement as you all know the school board is a statutory body that has very real responsibilities and business that it needs to conduct at their meetings at the same time RSA 91A better known as the right-to-know law provides that all meetings with a few exceptions must be open to the public To what extent do you feel that this right extends to the public's active participation in school board meetings by means of both commentary and the questioning and discussion with other school board members?
2: Well, thank you for the question. Um, Under uh, under the the duties of the school board, the tough part is, is the board meeting is really set up to get the business of the board accomplished. So there's a delicate balance between being able to actually get through the agenda and get the business of the board accomplished and providing a public forum um, uh, that public meeting law actually means that the meeting is open to the public meeting in public view it doesn't mean it's necessarily a public meeting a public meeting is more akin to a deliberative session is a great example um, that being said um, you know the district recently uh, through the board action uh, recodified the process for meeting and incorporated Public COMMENT PERIOD uh, FOR THAT DISTINCT PURPOSE OF INCLUDING PUBLIC INPUT. THE BOARD MEETING IS NOT THE ONLY PLACE FOR PUBLIC INPUT, NOR SHOULD IT BE. Um, MOST OF THESE ITEMS REALLY SHOULD BE uh, BROUGHT TO THE BOARD'S ATTENTION uh, AHEAD OF TIME. MANY OF THEM IS REALLY uh, AN ISSUE FOR THE OPERATIONAL STAFF, NOT FOR THE BOARD. AND OFTENTIMES, um, YOU KNOW, THERE'S A MISUNDERSTANDING THAT THE BOARD RUNS THE day to day OPERATIONS. and that's really the, the duty of the, the superintendent and the rest of the administrative team. Um, so oftentimes, you know, it's a matter of uh, first and foremost, the board needs to be accessible and needs to have uh, the public be able to access them. Um, the amount of access and questioning uh, in, front of the, in front of the meeting, so to speak, uh, I guess, is really where the, the disconnect seems to be. I would encourage anyone, if they have any concerns, to contact members uh, individually. Um, Most of us have a published phone number. Most of us have a published (laughs) email. Um, And and, you know, I think each member that I've worked with uh, would welcome that kind of connectivity.
0: Um, A quick follow-up: Do you support the current board's policy that only questions are only allowed for items that are on the agenda?
2: I support that the board passed a policy uh, to have public comment in the beginning of the meeting and have that comment limited to the agenda items in order to keep the business of the board focused on the agenda for that evening, yes.
0: Okay, thank you. David, same question. Same question.
3: Thank you, Tim. Um, as far as partici- public participation in meetings is vital. I mean, as far as communication goes, it's a two-way street. From being part of and witnessing many board meetings over the past couple of years, I feel that the public participation piece has has gone awry. It's it's not being used for its intended purpose. You know, you look at other local school district boards. Um, you know, in our neighboring towns like Merrimack, Hollis, uh, Amherst, they all post their board policies for the, for the public, just as we're now doing uh, in every packet that's provided at every meeting. You know, and it's following certain rules and guidelines of order. It's supposed to be concise, to the point, to be constructive. Uh, unfortunately, we've seen in recent times. Um, you know, folks want to have their say, and yes, it's a meeting, and yes, you can make a comment, but they're using it for not its intended purpose. Uh, I fully support public participation. I, myself, uh, have tried to be proactive and productive in the meetings and offer comments to help drive, whether it's new opportunities, how, how you know, uh, opportunities that would help provide better opportunities for our students, and it's a way to help communicate that freely and easily.
0: Do you support the, the uh, policy to only allow comments on agenda items?
3: I don't. Uh, straight up, I think that as far as initial comments could be on something that might have been on you know, the agenda for prior business. Uh, the board meetings, they're packed, some of them are pretty packed full with a lot of good information and a lot of things that gets communicated. If people have comments that they want to add to it, that would help make something in the uh, being addressed in that meeting. Uh, having at least an opportunity to provide a comment to have some extra information available for consideration, if you don't have that second period, you lose that opportunity.
0: Mike,
4: um, I I believe that we have gone a little awry with public comments, although I do feel that it is a very vital part of our meetings. Um, like Rick was saying, you know, it is a business meeting. We do need to get through all the items. However. We also have public comment limited to 20 minutes at the beginning of the meeting. And I feel as the meeting goes on, people develop questions, uh, concerns, they should be able to have a public comment at the end as well. Um, so that way they um, you know, they can get clarification. They can get questions that they develop um, answered. Um, I think that would create a more solid relationship, a little more. Respect as well, if uh, if it was also open to more topics, you know anything that they discuss.
0: So then the same follow up. So then you would support comments on any topic, not just the topics on the agenda.
5: Yes, I do support that. Joe, all right. <clears throat> the policies are outlined in the by the state, and Milford is follow, following the, the policies. They do open up the questioning for twenty minutes. That. To allow residents to come and speak up to three minutes per person I also read that the chairman can allow have a vote and set allow extra time for people to speak or if there's another subject during it he can put up a vote or and let people speak more on other subjects so that extended time can be allotted by the chairman and that is in their booklet
0: all right. Good, thank you. Judy, back
1: to you. Um, I think that it's really important that we remember that the meeting belongs to the body. And the governing body is running the meeting. Uh, comments from the public are necessary in a situation where we're talking about education. People are committed to, their, to the students in the town as well as their own children. So I think it's really important that the public have a say at the meetings. And I think as people have already mentioned, things have been a bit awry. And I think that there might be a disconnect here because I think that people are feeling what they're saying isn't being heard. Uh, they're not understanding all the time what the meeting, how the meeting is supposed to run. I do think the time limits are fair and reasonable. But I also think that people want to be heard in a different format. And I think they want feedback from that. My thinking was that we might want to open different lines of communication between the school board and the public that don't happen during an actual meeting. That when we're in that meeting, there's business that must be attended to. Uh, There's an agenda that has to be met, things that have to be decided. And I think it's really important that we think about opening up lines of communication so that people don't feel frustrated and feel that they have to talk out of turn or that they have to tackle every issue at the microphone in a public session.
0: Okay, thank you. I just want to pause here real quickly and make sure that the folks are back. Um, We hear an echo in Judy and Brick's microphone. I just want to make sure it's okay. It's just an echo inside here, I think. Okay. I just want to make sure that we don't have to start this whole thing over again at 8 (laughs) o'clock. Thanks, (laughs) Jim. All right, good. Um, So we'll we'll move on, and David will get the next question. Yes, sir. Um, uh, Civility in public discourse. This is related to the previous question, obviously. What specific things can you do as a board member to help bring civility back to to the public discourse and uh, rebuild the trust with the public?
3: Thank you for this question, Tim. Uh, I'm a big proponent in how I conduct just my personal self. I mean, I talk to people all day long in terms of what I do. Uh, Just when you take into consideration things like what's happening in the market right now. You know, it's it's quite easily and, you know, people get passionate about certain things. Kids and money tend to be one of the top two things. but really, you lose, the, you lose your credibility and you lose the ability to communicate your message effectively when things start getting out of control and getting heated. It's a two-way street. So first and foremost, I'm always going to, you know, meet the public with the respect that they deserve. You know, they're taking time out of the workday, whether it's coming down to a board meeting, sending me an email, reaching out to me via phone. You know, to so be able to sit down and give that opportunity to work with them, if, if, if we're at odds on a certain situation and it just it, it doesn't get addressed, it just keeps on getting worse and unfortunately we've been seeing that on a regular basis in the meetings it's got to stop because the only thing at the end in the end the only thing that's really going to get hurt is our schools and our kids so I think if we set the example we don't have to make the rules
0: thank you Mike
4: Um, I do feel that if we start opening up those lines of communications that respect will be um, you know raised Um, if People, you know, the citizens, they, they want to feel like they're being heard, that their concerns are being addressed. Um, you know, one good way to do that is, you know, I think that we should do like an open forum every other month where people can go for a couple hours and discuss anything, any concerns, and members of the board uh, can address those concerns outside of a meeting, outside of a, one of the board meetings, so that, that way they're, they're not limited by an agenda. Um, if people feel that their concerns are being heard and addressed. They'll, they'll respect uh, the school board a little more, and that opens up those lines of communication where they'll be more receptive as well to what the school board may be saying too.
0: So.
5: Great, thank you, Joe. Thank you. Uh, the silver. What's happening is it seem, seems like the residents aren't happy with nobody's listening to them. They're the whatever's happening when the with. Uh, the superintendent getting the position nobody was told about it nobody was talking about it so when people come up to the meeting come to the school board meeting they want to address that issue and they're getting shut down and nobody wants to be shut down Uh, so they're not following they're, they're following the rules and then you hear the chairman will say that's enough and he doesn't do it in a manner that's respectful and it's causing that's where it starts and yes the audience also gets disrespectful and that has to cease following the rules following the setup if you go with like Judy said having another forum at a different time letting them speak that would probably relieve that issue there and we could get the business done.
0: Thank you. Judy.
1: Civility seems to be a lost art these days. Um, my first foray into Facebook took place about a month ago when I set up my website to run for this office. I had avoided Facebook because I was a teacher, and it seemed like a good thing not to be involved in. Um, and so I'm sort of that naive person that got shocked into the reality of what happens on Facebook. Um, it hasn't happened to me, and it hasn't, I, I mean, I don't think anybody here but um, has participated. I'm just saying it was a shocker. And what we forgot was that civility is the oil of the machinery of society. And in order for us to speak with each other, whether we agree or not, we need to be civilized or there's no communication. And so I think that what we need to remember to get back to is that civility, and we've lost it over and over again in a society that's in a rush to communicate in you know 40 characters or less or whatever we're doing now. And so I think we need to be really careful and go back to the idea Of being kind and respectful to each other and I just commented recently we we have a a, we've made a point of talking about social emotional learning with our children and saying be kind to each other establish relationships uh, try to build mutual respect and I think perhaps some of us adults need a refresher course in that so I would like to see civility return on the part of all the participants in meetings, but also it just in general, I think it would be nice if we spoke to each other just a bit better. I think it just makes for a nicer experience in society. Right. thank you. Rick.
2: I agree with everything uh, everybody said. Um, I think the number one thing for me is the, the, the challenge of communicating uh, in a civil way is not just localized. This is a challenge that we have on a state and a national level. And I could theorize about a whole bunch of reasons. Um, Having been somebody that's been, uh, you know, in the hot seat and having to enforce things that are unpopular and um, being a regulator and, and those types of things, I can tell you that the one thing that saved me every time was not to make things personal. And the minute you make things personal, people automatically put up a defense mechanism. And that goes on both sides. Um, so I think the first step is for people to realize that you know it is possible to disagree and uh, without being disagreeable and and I think we've forgotten that Um, a couple of things that that uh, you know Judy hit on it with the 40 characters or less I couldn't agree more I think the art of communication in general is being lost Uh, and it's being lost because we can't have a discussion if we don't agree on something you're not with me you're against me seems to be the motto and and The way we all learn and the way we grow and we form our opinions and our ideas and we solidify them is to have a discussion and have a dialogue. Every day I learn something new, uh, maybe 10 or 12 times a day, and I do that through talking to somebody because I have a perception of something and then I want to have a discussion and I seek out people of different opinions than mine because that's the only way you can actually foster the best outcome. And I think we're forgetting that communication is something that we're doing like now we're talking and we're reading each other and we're listening and we're watching. Um, communication isn't something uh, from a keyboard uh, with anonymity. And I think that uh, unfortunately that venue has given us the opportunity to, to create a lot of discourse that's unnecessary.
0: Thank you very much. All right, next question.
2: No doubt you're all aware of the
0: proposed petition warrant article with which the school board declined to include on the upcoming warrant that would have asked voters if they supported calling for the resignation of the uh, district superintendent and the school board chairman. I have two questions. First had this petition made it to the ballot <clears throat> as a voter would you have voted in favor of it at the polls and number two do you believe that either of these two actions should be a goal of the next board? I'll uh, we'll start with you Mike.
4: Um, thanks for the question, Tim. And if this was on the ballot, I would not vote for that. Um, I feel that that is unnecessary to have on the ballot. Um, I, it's <coughs> I feel that issues that go on the ballot um, would be, you know, obviously the budget and things that pertain to the budget. Um, and there's no real purpose for having a warrant on there that doesn't have an end to a means. It's just an opinion, essentially. Um, so I can't say I would support that. Nor do I think that. Um, can you repeat your second part? The second part.
0: Sorry. Uh, do you believe that either of those two actions—the uh, removal of the superintendent or the board chairman—should be a, should be a goal of the next board?
4: Uh, absolutely not. I think we need to learn to work together. Um, Look at the strategic plan. There's some good, solid uh, plans in there. And we can find ways to work together um, through communication and respect. Um, You know, if we essentially did remove the superintendent unjust, it's going to devastate our schools, um, you know, with the the money, uh, where it comes from. You know, we have to find a place to get it. And also, I think it makes us vulnerable to a potential lawsuit. So, making a rash decision like that without just reasons, it would be devastating to our community. Um, if, through research and investigation, if there is just reasons, then I can get behind that. If there's just reasons to remove a superintendent, absolutely. So,
5: thank you, Joe. Thank you. Uh, I think this Warren article came because people were frustrated there was no means to say who should have been the superintendent in the first place and that's where it came from and there has to be a different way to send it up to to the town <coughs> to get on the Warren article when it went to the person who is being said uh, you're going to get fired so I'm firing myself or having everybody fi- fi- fire me vote for it so that had to change but the goal for this board should have nothing to do with firing a person. It should be working with them, setting policies, and letting the superintendent do their duty, do their job, not to worry about being fired because there's a new school board coming in. in. So no, that I would not, would not support. Okay.
0: And you would not have voted for that petition either? If it I don't
5: think it should have been on the warrant either. Okay. I think it's something that should be dealt with with the board and not on a Warren article, but like I say, I think it came
1: from frustration.
0: Yep. Thank you. Judy.
1: I think the petition was uh, the wording of the petition was flawed. I think I know what the intention was, uh, but it was flawed. The bottom line is that that's not the way you would remove the chairman of the board. Um, that can be done in an election. That could be done in a recall election but not in the kind of petition that was submitted. And certainly, the superintendent cannot be asked to be to re- resign by the vote of the people. She was hired by the board, and the board would be the one that would speak to her about whether or not she was doing her job properly. wouldn't be up to the voters to make that decision, and there are really good reasons for that. Uh, you really can't have 13,000 bosses. Um, and so I think that... I think we can see an intention here, but I think that it was at its very base flawed. I would not have voted for it as it appeared. What I would have liked to have had was some kind of a discussion about it. Um, I think that by moving it away from um, any discussion in a public forum, it made it feel like maybe we weren't really tackling the issues that were put forward. And clearly, people cared enough to sign a petition. And they followed the law for the petition so I think we sort of even though it was flawed I think we sort of pushed it to the side and didn't deal with it and I'm not 100% sure why we didn't but that's what we're left with I would not have voted for it as it stood
0: and do, do you think you should the board should. Um, should be a goal of the next board for those two items
1: absolutely not Thank I believe you. that the superintendent is doing the job that the board has asked her to do if she wasn't, I think they would have brought that up with her by now. I also think that uh, removing Ron Carvel is not necessarily a good thing. Ron has brought a great deal uh, to the job as chairman of the board and brings great experience and commitment. I think we just, um, as Mike said, I think we just need to work better together. Thank you. Rick.
2: Thank you. Um, you know, a couple things that were said, I just want to highlight. Um, The answer is no, no, and no for me. (laughs) So I'll answer the questions right up front. But, um, you know, Joe made a comment that it's out of frustration. He's, I think he's absolutely correct. Um, The question is, is is what's causing the frustration? And I think it goes back to our inability to have communication that's two-way. People make up their minds long before they have a conversation. Um, I can tell you uh, with certainty, The one thing we do know that I can speak of, because I am on the board, so I have some things I have to keep confidentially because that's Mm -hmm. the requirement, but we know that the vote was 4-0, to and I think that that's uh, important. I think everybody (laughs) that serves on the board really does truly try to make the best decision they can with the information they have and following what they believe is in the best interest of the school and the community. Um, A couple of the things about, you know, why I wouldn't vote for that article and I thought it was inappropriate. Um, imagine if we could just take because we don't like a certain teacher or we don't like a certain town official mm-hmm. and throw on a, a, a Warren article that we can just vote them out. Um, our, our, our whole society is based on this idea of us being a republic not a pure democracy. And that was one of the things that we, we were, you know, we, our forefathers were fearful of, is this idea of turning into mob rule society. And I think that as much as the frustration was there, and I think we need to figure out how do we come together and communicate, um, I, I don't think it's the right venue. And I think it's inappropriate to, again, what did we do? We, we personalize things, right? If we have challenges, then we need to find ways to work together and not make them personal any time a personal attack comes in what automatically happens is people are defensive that's just human nature um, so I'd just like to see us continue to look I personally would like to start looking in the in, in the windshield instead of the rearview mirror you know I don't want to have the discussions about what happened 18 months ago with somebody's hiring because it's irrelevant so I would just like to look at where are we now what can we do to improve and how do we move the district forward
3: thank you David thank you um, so for the first question is do I feel the warrant article was appropriate to be put on the ballot?
0: No. Would you vote for it?
3: No. No. It's not the right way to do business. I mean as far as the business of running a school district is the largest undertaking our town has. It's the highest cost item that we have so therefore it derives the most attention and when you deal with someone, like Mr. Carvell, I've known he, him being on the board for the past six years and he was on the budget advisory committee for the prior ten years prior to that. I've spoken to Mr. Carvel on a number of occasions and he in my opinion has been um, you know if you can just get him a second and just let him speak his mind he's very well invested in our town and our schools and our students and you can't like everything that everybody does but when you look at someone's history uh, from my, per- my personal perspective I don't think it would be right to remove uh, a gentleman who is, is doing his job you know which is to lead the district as the chair of the board for dr Heisiga, um i've done a lot of my own personal research on her i've worked with her uh, in dealings with the budget advisory committee um, and the portrait of a graduate committee this lady eats sleeps and breathes kids all day long and i'm sorry but i think that we actually have two very good assets for, and as far as assets of milford goes and i don't think it would be appropriate to just willingly say Thank you for your time. A little vote go away. I don't think that's just the right way to do business.
0: All right, thank you. Next question. Getting away some of the hot button, all political <laughs> stuff. The budget. As Milford home homeowners are painfully aware, our local property taxes seem to increase more and more each year. We've had a particularly large increase just this past year. At last week's selectmen's candidates' forum, they were all discuss- discussing what the selectmen might be able to do to keep their taxes down when as we all know the real money is at the school district um, the proposed school district budget for the coming year is just shy of forty three and a half million dollars which represents nearly 75 percent of the combined town and school operating budgets do you support the proposed budget and this is what's starting with you Joe do you support the um, proposed budget and if elected and faced with the prospects of cutting future budgets please name a specific area of the budget that you would cut if any
5: at this point I would have to support the budget because there's two they've done the research they've kept it down as much cutting from what I could hear from the duck from the superintendent that they've done their due diligence and they've slimmed it down as much as they could without cutting as any personnel or limiting cutting of personnel Uh, in the future I think you would have to bring in everybody into the process a little bit more the leaders the school the principals the, team, the, the leadership team talk with them talk with the teachers talk with the union reps find out where the, where the important positions are where if we cut them is it going to hurt the <coughs> children anything that hurts the children I would not support that means cutting positions cutting courses cutting programs that's affecting the children we have to look at the administrative end of it and maybe that's where they make the cuts uh,
0: thank you Judy over to you
1: I do support the current budget um, I my only concern with the budget to begin with was the idea that we were cutting um, the hours of staff that were directly involved with students and that was a concern we talked about nurses aides and library aids and hopefully we figured that out and we'll be able to make that work and I think that um, Unlike a household budget, education can't be just trimmed by tightening your belt all the time. And I think that that makes it really difficult for all of us. 25, 30, 40 years ago, education was an entirely different thing than it is now. We are so many things to so many people. We provide services that were never dreamed of 40 years ago. And we're basically running to stay in one place all of the time. I think this makes it really difficult for everybody and I don't think that I've met anyone in this town who thought that we shouldn't educate our children well. I'd have, I've never met anyone who said "Ah, to heck with education, let's just do away with this. Milford's a very supportive town. So I think when it gets to where are we going to cut the budget, there are just going to have to be some really difficult processes and I do think we need to be more creative. I think we need to share resources better between schools. I think that that's already started as a discussion I think Dr. Heizenga brought that um, into the forefront to begin with that we're duplicating services that we could quite possibly share between schools and I think if as we see the decreasing enrollment that we may be able to see more opportunity to do that I don't want to see us cut programs I don't want to see us you know increase classroom size I don't want to see us have to cut staff that are so important but I also know we have to be realistic and part of that may be thinking about things differently. And again, doing things that are not duplicating services, making sure that we are using our resources as wisely as, wisely as we possibly can. Thank you. Rick.
2: Um, answer your easy question, yes, I support the budget. Um, the reason why, I mean, if we just take a peek back, uh, Tim, you and I have sat across from the, the aisle, so to speak, and, and had differences of opinion on budget for years. Um, I've been accused of being a budget hawk many times and on just wanting to cut. And it's really not uh, accurate, but I think it's important to kind of take a little trip down memory lane. If we look at the budget last year, the budget proposed by the board last year was an increase of $64,880. At deliberative session, the townspeople added 50000 to that budget. Separate from that were two labor agreements that were voted in. Those labor agreements added an additional 500 and roughly $33,000 to the budget last year. And then there's the $200,000 contingency, which accounts for the budget being $42,868,358 last year. That number was a 2% increase over the previous year. The reason the board presented that level of budget at only a $64,000 increase is because the new superintendent and the administrative team had combed through where we were at and and essentially did a retooling of the district as far as reprioritization, focusing on strategic planning and things like that. This year, um, right out of the gate, based on those agreements that were signed last year and that was actually on on the warrant and in in the voter information, an additional $630,000 in just labor agreement costs were included. This year's budget only increases $453,947. Um, that includes that additional 630000 of new expenses that when the voters voted on those labor agreements, we knew were coming. Um, these are the kinds of things that, you know, we need eyes wide open when we, when we think of. The current budget as proposed is actually a 17 cent decrease on the tax rate. I said that right, decrease. And I think that's important for people to understand. So I think the, the, the administrative team did a remarkable job of trying to focus everything that we did in this budget on how do we achieve the strategic plan because that's our guiding light and they've tied everything back for the first time in my history I'm looking at a 280 page document that outlines pretty much everything we're doing Um, and I think that's remarkable so I do support the budget I don't know if you're going to talk about the other two uh, Warren articles or not
0: well, you can talk about whatever you'd like. I'm going to get to at least one of them.
2: Okay. I'll wait until you do that then. Okay. Thank you. Quick follow-up. You yep. said
0: that the tax rates, not the tax, you said the uh, per thousand is, is decreased. Are you, are you including the uh, Heron Pond bond? Is that why you said that?
2: So the, the budget is the budget, right? It's a bottom line budget. And I know people like to split hairs about, well, the Heron Pond bond was re- uh, um, retired. Retired every year we have stuff in the budget that is either one-time or it is sunsets. So it's really not a, an apples-to-apples apples analogy. Um, so yes, the Heron Pond debt retired. and and yeah, I was I'm
0: asking if that's why you said it was going down by $0.17 cents no, or something. Like that. No, no. Okay. The
2: reason I say it's going down by $0.17 cents is because we had a reevaluation last year. So the actual tax value of property in this district went up substantially. And frankly, that $0.17 cents is likely uh, even going to be a greater decrease just because we hadn't reevaluated commercial property, and that will hit this time around. So, mm-hmm. the suspicion is is that even if everything passed uh, in the school, we may actually see a decrease or a level impact on the tax dollar. Thank you, David.
3: Thank you, Tim. <clears throat> um, yes, I support the budget. Um, going through the budget process this year, initially, uh, uh, some members of the budget advisory committee thought that the cuts were should have been around like the 1% range, the like $400,000 range. And in the midst of our meetings, the board came about to say, well, we'll come down, but we're not going to come down that far. So I looked at it as I'm always a meet-me-in-the-middle kind of guy. There's a compromise. And when you have a budget um, that is as large as it is and it's consistent as it is, you know, with, with labor and benefits for the, the staff make up a, a substantial amount of that $43 million number. So you end up having, if you really need to start cutting where you can on the other things we start limiting our capacity and our ability to offer a top rated program and a 21st century education for our students you know our our, i mean we're we're using buildings built in the 19th century with teachers with 20th century education to give kids a 21st century education there's we're the the kids today are learning things that you know for jobs that aren't even available yet you know and you look at the, the exponential cost of what it takes to run a school district everything always every year increases a little bit so you always should have because of the cost of living and you know cost adjustments the budget should always go up a, a small percentage and we've done that for the past two years you know i think last year the budget was uh, a raise an increase of about seven hundred thousand dollars. and this year it's uh, an increase of only 200 or so so if if the default budget passes would now that puts us in a spot where now we have to go and you know Cut programs potentially cut staff and that, that's not the milford way that that hurts the milford experience for our kids so i support the budget and you know i think that we need to really start taking a look at how we can use the school district and create new ways of creating revenue whether it's starting adult education at night for people that want to you know work for classes to get towards their ged um, maybe doing usage studies to see if we're using schools in the best way possible so we can start you know moving away from some of our older buildings that have a higher cost to the district. Um, it, there are reasons why the budget is as high as it is and to just go and cut two or three million dollars out of it only hurts the future.
0: Thank you. Mike.
4: Uh, Yes, I would support the budget. Um, I do support it. And I believe that this year we are at a, if I remember correctly, 1.06%, 7% increase from last year. Um, That's a minimal increase. Um, And we are using this to invest into our greatest assets that we have in town, the kids we're investing in their future and we owe it to them to do that um, you know if they have a great experience here we'll have kids here for generations and what better way to spend the money than investing to better our children here um, there are some ways that we can I believe streamline some of the spending um, use it in some different areas I believe we can cut down a little bit on some of the legal fees. Um, those are raised because of a response to you know, filings of right to knows. If we try to approach the board with some of these questions ahead of time, we can try to avoid some of these legal costs. And I believe that would be a, a good way to you know, cut some costs and use that money more responsibly in some other areas.
0: Good, thank you. We did. T- you started that question, right? Mm-hmm. I believe it. Did, you did. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep track here. So good. All right. So we're back to you, Judy. How would you describe the role of the school board and the role of the superintendent, and what is the proper interaction between the two?
1: I think the role of the school board is really the big picture thinking that goes with any large organization. They have to set the policies. They have to set um, the goals certainly our um, our, student, um, sure. our student plan for the future um, portrait of a graduate and uh, so I really think that they need to work on those big ideas uh, they need to make sure that the budget is in line and they have to weigh out those competing needs uh, people have things they want things they need And we all have to be mindful of how much money that's going to cost. And I do think that the school board has done a good job of caring for our money and thinking about how we spend it. I think that their role with the superintendent needs to be one of a board and a CEO, because the superintendent's the one on the ground. She's the one making the decisions on the day-to-day running. She's also making staffing decisions, budget issues, uh, how we're going to run the school, how we're going to take care of emergencies that pop up during the day she's really the on the ground and I like to think of the board as being the big thinkers in this the big picture folks where she does the detail driven stuff on a day-to-day basis because she is the only employee of the board basically uh, the one that they control the hiring and firing of they need to have a really close relationship the superintendent needs to be working in concert with the goals of the school board and if she's not then it is their job to make sure that she sort of comes back into the fold um, I think that it's um, foolish to consider that the superintendent has gone out and made all kinds of decisions and that the board has just kind of said well let her be because certainly that's not what's happening and that's really the appropriate role that I see between the board and the superintendent and the role of the board and the role of the superintendent and I think that sometimes it gets a little cloudy uh, people might not Quite understand how things sort of move up and down um, the communication chain and so it causes some degree of frustration but I do think that our board and our superintendent have worked really closely uh, together over well our current superintendent for the last 18 months but certainly our board and former superintendents have worked well together I think there's a great deal of communication between the the two of them as they well should be thank you Rick (laughs) <laughs> um, You're easy. I think okay, next. <laughs> I, 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 I think Judy hit it right on the head, you make me right? think
0: my questions are too easy.
2: The, uh, the, the role of the board really is one of, uh, of an oversight board, a policy-setting board, a goal-and-strategy-setting board. And carrying out all of that is the role of the administrative team led by the CEO, if you will, the superintendent. And I do think you, you, you hit it right on the head when you said that um, sometimes that's cloudy for people as far as what those relationships are. I personally think it's critical for the board and the superintendent to have a close relationship, one that's open and able to be having uh, very open and honest discussions uh, that can be one-on-one uh, between a board member and the superintendent as well as, as a board and the board takes action as a board. I think sometimes people forget that each board member is just as powerful or less powerful than each other, right? We're, we operate as one. Not, none of us have any authority independently. It's an action of a board. And um, I, I, I personally think that the, the board's role is to provide that guidance. I know if I was in a workplace uh, and, and, you know, somebody went to my employees that I'm responsible for and tried to provide direction, it creates a semblance of chaos. And so I think it's really critical that we make sure that we, we follow those guidance and, and we have policies in place explicitly for that. Um, and I think it's really critical to, to understand that relationship.
0: Thank you. David.
3: Thank you very much. Um, So it's kind of a straightforward topic regarding the role of the school board. You know, it sets the vision and the mission for the goals of the schools. And on top of that, we have to talk about the fiscal responsibility to make sure that we're uh, requesting dollars from the taxpayers and using those dollars to the best of the ability um, to maximize their potential to provide a great opportunity and education for the school. You know, for the kids, and also to provide you know a great work environment for the staff. So, as far as the the higher level process of, of doing that, the board's going to set those guardrails for the superintendent to follow. The superintendent's the figurehead of the district, just as in terms of any other company we can think of out there. You know, you think of Steve Jobs for Apple, right? You think of Elon Musk for for Tesla. You know, you you know there's a board of directors for those. You know companies but you don't hear about them there because the board's in the in the background providing the guardrails and the guidance as f- for the superintendent being that figurehead of a district that yeah, she has to be um, well read well thought and and you know setting the example for others to follow uh, and you have to have a good relationship between the two because if you don't if you you, you read articles that's uh, in, in our local papers whether it's the Manchester Union leader or the Telegraph you read about uh, some of these other districts where they're having, they have discontent, you know, board members that aren't playing well with each other, you know, that aren't that aren't all in it for the kids. You know, you can't have board members um, that have ulterior motives that are going against the grain and causing discourse, because then it affects the ability for those guardrails to be set. You know, with with the superintendent not following the guidelines or the rules of the board, it just creates bad situations for the kids. If you have a board that has set rational and understandable goals for the district that can be followed and a superintendent that's willing to go through uh, and make those items happen everyone's going to win and it's going to make the town better and it's going to make it a better place for (coughs) parents to want to bring their kids to raise the kids here it's going to make builders want to build more homes here and businesses want to flourish so everything wins just by those two board uh, the, the board and the superintendent having that relationship to work together Mike it is
4: extremely important for the board and the superintendent to have a good relationship. Uh, they have to obviously work very closely together. Um, the board has to approve a budget, and they have to explain to the taxpayers where their money is being spent. And uh, you know, it gets them to feel like their money is being well spent. It's their job to relay that. Um, Obviously, you know, they also have the policies. You know, they have to create policies and a roadmap for the superintendent. Um, One of the things that the board is also responsible for is providing evaluations. Um, I feel that we're doing a disservice by not, I'm not saying we're not doing that, but if the board does not do evaluations on the superintendent, it's a disservice to her as well. Because the point of the evaluation is to tell her what she's doing good on, to tell her what. You know what we need to work on some opportunities and that is a great communication tool and it's we have to keep those lines open and respectable at all times
5: thank you Joe all right well the role of the school board is also governed by the state and it's told by the rules and they have to follow and the school board's role is just to make is to make policies sort of like in the military the governor they have the general and he tells his troops what to do, and he does not get involved. He lets, the, in this case, lets the captains and them run the, their companies, their, their units. So the superintendent is the, that captain, and they need to be able to run the school daily. And that means there has to be good communications, like they've mentioned, and in this case, I think there is good communications. The board and the superintendent seem to be communicating, getting across what they want. Is it what we want, what the town wants? I think it is, except they're not communicating it. And that's where the discontent is coming from. They're not getting the communications. Nobody super, Nobody has said that the, they even mentioned it. They have not evaluated the superintendent, and that is in the policies that they need to, one of their jobs is to, Super- is to evaluate the superintendent that has not done, been done they're talking about it right now but they're talking about how they're going to do it, mm. not when they're going to do it
0: okay thank you all right next question this will be we'll start with you Rick um, concerning unions the current union contract between the school board and the Milford educational support staff Association MESA expires at the end of June And thus far, this this is my interpretation. I have no inside information. Thus far, the current board has not come to an agreement with the union. I don't know whether that should be characterized as an impasse or what. It's not public information. But but this means that the union members will be working without a contract as of July. This likely means that the union negotiation will be high on the agenda for the next school board. Uh, What do you think the role of an individual board member should be regarding unions? And what can you personally do, bring to the table in this regard?
2: Well, as you said, uh, there's ongoing situations so I want to be uh, somewhat cautious. But uh, what I would say is that, um, you know, the role of a board member when it comes to uh, anything, and the, as we just talked about the role of the board and the superintendent, the, the employees of the district are managed by the superintendent. So I think it's important to make that distinction. Board members don't get directly involved with those matters except for negotiations. Um, That said, those negotiations are with the board, not with individual members. It's inappropriate for an individual board member to connect directly uh, with the union official during negotiations. Um, It's actually illegal. Uh, So I I think that it's kind of a tough question. Mm -hmm. Um, What I would say is that when we talk about negotiations. It's a give and take process. It's not uncommon. Uh, You mentioned that they'll be uh, working without a contract. I'm just going to clarify that a little. What it means is they're working under the contract they currently have because that's the way it it works. And that's happened uh, a couple of times uh, over the last several years. In fact, the contract passed for the teachers last year uh, was following a year of no contract. Um, So it's important to kind of have that uh, in perspective that that, that's not uncommon, especially in public labor uh, groups. because. Uh, you know, there's not the same rules that apply to private labor groups. So I think that the role is to be open, to, to be listening, to be doing what's in the best interest of the district um, while at all times being fair. And I think that that's, that's critical. We all want to be treated with, with dignity and respect. Um, we don't want to be abused. Um, I think we have a very good, uh, a very good relationship from the perspective of Um, you know the townspeople of this community supporting uh, our employees and I think there's no reason to to not continue that that said uh, I've been more than uh, vocal in the past about my belief on some certain things and and uh, when it comes to labor agreements and the, the, the power of the board acting as a board is that we all have a say but it's just one say um, SO I don't, think it's imp- I DON'T THINK IT'S REASONABLE TO, to, to SAY THAT, WELL, I, I WOULD DO THIS OR I WOULD DO THAT BECAUSE YOU DON'T GET TO MAKE THE DECISION, YOU JUST GET TO, to ARTICULATE YOUR BELIEF and, and, AND TRY TO GET OTHERS TO AGREE, DISAGREE, OR HELP YOU POLISH UP YOUR, your BELIEF A LITTLE BIT TIGHTER. Um, SO THAT BEING SAID, I DON'T KNOW IF THAT REALLY ANSWERS YOUR QUESTION, TIM, AND I'M NOT TRYING TO DANCE AROUND IT. I JUST, YOU KNOW, I, I THINK IT'S IMPORTANT TO UNDERSTAND THAT WHEN WE TALK ABOUT THE ROLE OF A BOARD MEMBER WITH THE UNION. It gets really muddy mm-hmm. and I, I just wanna make sure that people understand that.
0: Yeah, and that was actually the point of the question. I, so David, what, what do you bring to the table?
3: As far as the you know, the art of the negotiation process for two administrating bodies, you know, it, it's interesting uh, while, while contracts are in current session, you know, the staff, no one likes to be, you know, th- they're, they're people, right? They're people touching our kids. So I think that having a contract for the support staff that is reasonable to the taxpayers but also gives them value and respect and understanding um, you know it's, there's always going to be a give and take process there's going to be things that are going to be asked for you gotta, you gotta find compromise and you got to find the middle ground and you got to do it in a respectful productive manner uh, and that's what I find is for myself that I would bring those types of qualities to the table you know it's been mentioned by Mr. Wood you don't want to make it personal but it's a personal request. You know, People have the right to uh, a, a quality salary, quality work environment, and there's gonna be wants and needs on both sides. So finding that middle ground, working together so both sides walk away, no one's gonna walk away with everything that they want, so you have to be willing to work together to find out what middle ground you can get a hold of and, uh, and then work for there.
0: Thank you. Mike.
4: Um, y- yes, as Rick was saying, it is illegal for um, an individual board member to essentially freelance and discuss with the union. Uh, however, it's a team effort. Um, it is a team, it's all one big team. You know, you have the teaching team, you have the board team, and they all have to work together to create in, in, uh, you know, an environment that everyone can agree on. Um, to work together on one of the things i can uh, that I bring to the table is I have the ability to see both sides and I understand where people are coming from and I feel that I can really find a, a good way for people to come into an agreement um, i 've always been good at you know finding ways to negotiate and find a good common ground that is workable for everybody.
5: Thanks, Joe. Oh, this is where I have more experience probably than anybody here. All right, I've been bring the lead negotiator for my union in Brookline for the last 10 years. We just got done negotiating a contract and got a 3-year contract hopefully be passed by the voters next next week, or week after. So I understand the process. I've been like I said the lead negotiator I know how to deal with the what's the give and take you have to come in there without an agenda and the same thing with the school board if they come in there that just their attitude and what I've seen some school board members come in there with an agenda you can see it on the face they weren't going to give you anything they weren't and then I've seen it the teachers can be that way too Mm -hmm. and it has to be both ways they have to give and take you got to be respectful and you've got to hear them out and figure out a compromise.
0: So um, you, you mentioned that you are a member of the, the union in, a, in, a, in another Brookline. community. In Brookline. Now, do you and, and then, are you also a member of the, the national? Um, I am
5: a member of yes.
0: Do you see that as a, a conflict? And no. if, if it's You do not see it as a conflict? Why would it be a conflict? I'm just asking the question. I don't nope. know. Uh,
5: there is no conflict. It has nothing to do with this town. Okay.
1: All right, Judy. I think that Rick articulated the fact that an individual doesn't necessarily um, negotiate with another individual in this situation. We're talking about two groups of people who are negotiating with each other. But I do think that an individual can, can serve a really important per, excuse me purpose in a negotiation. And I think that there are times when we do need people, as Mike pointed out, who are looking at both sides of an issue. I think being an educator in this town for 21 years, Um, that I know what it was like to be on the other side of that negotiation. I wasn't a negotiator, but I was on the sort of the other end of that. Um, I also worked as an administrator and saw it from a a very different perspective. And I think that in a situation where we're working as a board that I could bring a voice to that of compromise and perhaps a look into the other side of things, um, consider it this way, consider it that way. Uh, I don't think that as an individual I would have a specific voice above all others. I just think that oftentimes I have been able to use diplomacy to bring people to a place where they can come to a compromise and that's what a negotiation is, basically a compromise. So I think that these gentlemen have all already said, you know, much about this and there's very little that I can add, but I can say that I'm a great compromiser.
0: And and. On your bio, you said you were on the, the Milford Teachers? I was. Is, the board. is that the right term? I was I actually the, right the president
1: of the Milf- Milford Teachers Association for two years, and I served on the executive board for, well, let's say, seven or eight. So
0: you would essentially be getting on the other side of the table suddenly. I would be. Do you see that as a plus, a minus?
1: Do you any thoughts on that? I see that as a benefit. Um, I don't see it as a negative. I see that as having experience, like I said, from the other side. A perspective that not you don't always get on a school board so I think that it's important for um, for that thought process too because I don't think anybody ever became a teacher to become rich Um, I said anybody never right and uh, but I do think that we have to remember that becoming a teacher doesn't mean that you take a vow of poverty becoming a paraprofessional doesn't mean you take a vow of poverty as Rick pointed out we need to make sure that people have a reasonable living and I do think that I can, I can bring that viewpoint, but not necessarily with a bias or with an agenda. Good. Thank you.
0: All right, next question, we're going to start with you, David. Facilities maintenance. In recent years, there's been an increase in emergency repairs needed at facilities throughout the district, whether that be failed heating systems or there was a partially collapsed roof at the high school a couple years back. In fact the school board has placed a question on this year's warrant to establish a $400,000 facilities maintenance fund so that they will have monies available to them when these issues occur in keeping with our early discussion about the budget our emergency funds like this the best way to go and what could you do as a board member to ensure that our facilities are maintained in a proper manner Okay.
3: so I know this is a hot topic for the ballot this year uh, it's very well known that our buildings are you know we've had a process over the past budget years of delaying maintenance on the buildings and it's coming now at a point where we really need to take a step back and look at how we're gonna be able to address them in the best fiscally way responsibly way possible right Um, the Warren article is a start I mean $400,000 really is only just gonna barely touch the scratching of the surface Um, so
0: but is that a bigger problem, if it's, if it's only touching the, the surface of the problem, isn't that a bigger problem? Well, it's,
3: it's a start. I mean, it's a building point. So if we don't use all the money, the best, the best part is that this is something that we're asking the voters to for, um, you know, a, a chunk of change that we're <coughs> able to put aside, and why we're not using it? It earns interest. Uh, it's not targeted for specific things. So if we, uh, one, of the, one of the big items that we have to do is remediate our, our, our heating units, you know, the boilers. So if you put out a warrant article um, that... You know, to buy one or two of these boilers, and it's three hundred thousand dollars. And that born article fails. You now you can't buy anything. So if it really truly fails, you can't buy a new one. You have to keep trying to some way find a way to repair these things. The buildings are old. I mean, Perrin Pond uh, has slated on it um, some repairs, not repairs, but it, it, the upkeep of, of of the rubber liner on the roof. You know, and that building is now twenty years old. So our newest building is already twenty years old. You know, I, I mean, the high school. It, it, it looks um, on the outside it looks dated but on the inside it, it also has its issues too you know with, uh, with faulty wiring and things like that that can cause you know, fires it the the schools definitely need to have their facilities looked at and we need a plan to do it so the but so by every budget year we know what's coming and by knowing what's coming we can then get it out to the voters to say this is something that was made aware of and a plan in place so each year we're going to be acquir- you know acquiring funds putting it into the trust putting the expenses out there and the to use that money we still happen to have a hearing so this, the, the the public still gets a say so it like it, i mean would it be great to go and get another big bond yeah but i don't think that the public is willing to you know fill that gap right now is, is it time to build a new high school no I, I don't think building a new high school i mean i've I've had my own, my own thoughts about that subject. I mean, would it be awesome to have a nice brand new facility with up to date, you know, 21st century equipment and whatever? Sure, but I mean, that's 25 million dollars, so we don't have that. So the best thing to do, yeah, probably even more, right? So, so, so what I think we need to do is start. Um, in, in speaking with uh, Mr. O'Connell, who came from Wilton Lindbergh, they did a structure a structured remediation of their Wilton Lindbergh High School. So you start small, you start doing it in sections, you shut down some classrooms, you, you fix those, and then you, you work from there. Um, if you have to bring in a couple of pods for a couple of years to help you know, create spaces <laughs> for English or uh, foreign language classes or something like that, I know I'm kind of going into, into pretty much detail, but there are ways to retrofit that building and make it more usable and more up to date. So it, it you know, allows us to use it for the next 80 years.
0: Great, Mike.
4: Um, I do support that warrant. Uh, I feel that it is necessary to uh, have a a plan in place to try to uh, update the uh, facilities. Um, You know, if we don't have (coughs) something like this in play when one of these do break down, then what do we do? You know, we have to plan for hiccups in our system. Um, You know, it's that's just smart business um, you always want to plan for the unexpected and this is you know like David said it, it's a great start you know but we need to keep investing into this uh, so we can afford when these things happen as your f-
0: thoughts on the new high school oh, as far as school. correct
4: um, to be perfectly honest I it, it would be great to have a new high school however until I dig more into where we are at with our current high school, I can't really say whether I would be for it or against it. Um, you know, it would be nice to have a shiny new high school, but you know, without doing proper research, I can't really properly answer that question.
5: Great.
0: Joe.
5: I think the Warren articles are a good step to help protect the voters. Uh, if we don't have those Warren articles in, what's gonna to happen to the school budget when they or where's the money gonna come from uh, if they turn it down the superintendent's gonna to have to get in the board gonna to have to figure out where that money is gonna be coming from and they're gonna feel the pinch and it won't be pretty as for the new high school uh, we have to look at the numbers mm-hmm. you have to look at I know next year the numbers are going down in the high school but you have to look at about 10 15 years down the road where what are our numbers in the elementary right now in the K through 5 when they get up to the high school is the school then gonna be over and pushing out through the walls Mm -hmm. Uh, are they gonna have the classroom space is that school gonna be able to support them are they gonna be able to pass accreditation because their school's falling apart and they won't pass so that would not be a good thing for the town taxpayers to see our schools not accredited because the building facility doesn't pass Uh, then your property values will go down so what we need to do is look at renovating look at the cost look at a 10-year plan 20-year plan whatever look at the cost uh, which way which one's more effective renovating or building a new one but that would be a a committee to look into
0: okay great and right we're, we're still going over here
1: I do support the warrant article. I think it gives the board the flexibility to be able to deal with unexpected expenses. And as was discussed at the deliberative session, the money isn't going to get spent on something else. In the meantime, it will accrue interest if it doesn't get used, but it'll be there if the board needs it. Um, I think that um, having worked in the high school and uh, experienced the, the quirkiness, of the building that I can say that um, it really is in need of serious updating if we aren't going to build a new high school and I understand $60 million is not going to come easily and so if we don't want to make that kind of commitment we need to make a commitment to some serious upgrades um, a renovation that's going to take all kinds of things into account not the least of which is the HVAC which is terrible I mean awful system Um, uh, when NEOS came just a few years ago there was a great deal of concern on the part of the accreditation committee about the condition of the school and at the time they several times mentioned the fact that there were things that were not quite right Um, there were some plumbing issues there were some physical issues they weren't safety per se but they were questionable And I think that we need to be really mindful that accreditation can be um, based on the physical plant. You can lose your accreditation based on physical plant. I wouldn't like to see us in a position where we're in, in jeopardy of losing our accreditation based on a physical plant that we may or may not have the money to fix at that point. I also get concerned that we're sort of doing kick the can that it's not going to happen on my watch not going to happen when I'm a board member you're not going to have to build a new school with me so I'm just going to kick that can another five or ten years and wait till the next board comes along or the next couple of people come along and I'll let them worry about it then so I want to be mindful that we're not just sort of pushing this off to the future and I don't think we are because I know the current board is discussing solutions I know that they're thinking about renovations or do you build a new school? I mean, how do, you, how do you do this, especially in the face of declining enrollment? I mean, we're definitely playing these, these different statistics and, and different, again, needs and wants and finances against each other. Great. Rick.
2: Thanks for asking the question, Tim. Um, and I'm going to answer your question about new first. Okay. Um, One of the challenges that we have and have had for many, 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 many years is we lack a strategic plan. We now have one for education, but we need to know what is our plan for our facilities and infrastructure to support that education. And what we've done in the past has been nothing more than, oh, we only have 50,000, so what can we do with that? That's not a strategic way to approach things. So to answer your question about a new high school, the answer is I don't know, because I don't know what our needs are because we haven't studied it and come up with a plan. The first step in this process and one of the reasons I proposed as a board member the facilities committee policy um, is to drive us to developing a facility master plan. We don't have a master plan. We don't have a strategy on what gets fixed. Speaking directly to the $400,000 expendable trust, The reason uh, that that was proposed, and I know because I proposed it, um, the reason it was proposed is because year after year after year, our facilities have taken the back seat to everything else. And everything else, as we've said previously in the budget, the main driver of the budget is salaries and benefits. And unfortunately, we've gotten to the point where (laughs) we focus on little things instead of big things, and we don't strategize about a, a frequency. Of replacement we have no replacement schedule so it's very hard to budget and so from my perspective the number one thing we need to do as a district related to facilities is conduct a study of our current status match that against our strategic plan and where we want to go and what we need for features of the built buildings and then we need to look at how do we accomplish that um, that may be a piecemeal thing it may mean a new school it may not there's lots of ways to modify existing buildings add-on reconfigure uh, that are just as effective and as cost effective Um, I don't want to rule anything out Um, as far as the the $400,000 warrant article the one thing I would say because there was a lot of discussion about do we put this in the budget and the reason that I support it as written is because it's dedicated to facilities period. It's not going to get disrupted for something else. The reason it's needed now, even without that master plan, is because we know for certain we have major systems like heating systems that are in need of replacement, not repair. Our budget normally covers repair. These are replacement. Three years ago, we passed a $3 million bond item. We're paying interest on that bond. One of the main driving factors of discussion at Deliberative was we don't want to pay interest on things we should be fixing anyway. The $400,000 expendable trust allows us a vehicle to not be spending interest. In fact, instead earning interest while focusing on repair.
0: Great. Thanks. All right. I'm going to try to squeeze one more question in before we do final final statements. Get us out of here by 7.30 if we can. Um, So we're starting with Mike this time. Bullying. Uh, We've heard a lot lately both on social media and the news about bullying in the classroom. Do you feel that bullying is an issue with the Milford School District, and if so, what do you think are the causes, and what specifically could we do to address it?
4: Bullying is an issue in every school district. Um, You know, that's—it's a concern everywhere. There is no clear cure of it. Um, You know, I've—I've spoken with uh, Mr. O'Connell. And he was saying how this year, as the year's progressing, behavioral instances have gone down. Um, That's good to hear. You know, we're doing something right. Um, Some of the ways to help it out is to understand the kids, to understand what makes them tick, Um, you know, work with their different situations they have going on. Um, You know, our students need to feel safe in school. As an absolute must, um, there is. I was speaking with a family recently, um, who they were in the school district a couple years ago, and their child was assaulted by a teacher. It's still under investigation, um, and this this isn't right. You know, we need to rectify these issues. Um, they sent Left the school district, but we need we need to do everything we can, no matter what it takes, to make our kids feel safe from t- other students and adults. If there's an issue, we need to go at it head on and try to fix it.
0: Okay.
5: Joe, uh, bullying can be an issue, especially if you're not giving any education to the students on bullying, uh, giving the staff the support on. How to train and recognize and report bullying. All that has to be part of it. Uh, educating the students using uh, what well, we use citizenship, teaching them what bullying is, what it looks like, guidance counselors, getting involved, teaching them how to spot it, how to say no to it, and how to respond and report it. And that is the key to a lot of it. High school, now you have, in middle school, you have the online bullying and there are policies in place plus state laws and they have to be held accountable and the staff and the principals and their leaderships need to enforce those laws and make everyone understand when something happens obviously it has to be addressed immediately.
1: Great. Judy. I think that bullying at its very basis is about power struggles. And I do think that we need to talk to our children and talk about what's bullying and how we should be behaving. We talk about this with social emotional learning all the time. But I think a huge role needs to be in the form of the staff and the administration of schools and establishing relationships with students. And I think that's one of the positive things about small class sizes is that teachers get to know students better and when you have that relationship, students are more likely to come forward and talk to an adult and have bullying addressed through the right channels. I think that it's incredibly important as students get older that they feel that support. I think, um, I know, and I have heard of situations in the elementary school that are deeply troubling um, with kids being with bullying. And I think that when we're dealing with somebody very young we can control the situation a bit better. I think when we get into middle school and high school, the situation becomes one of social media, but it also becomes one of students not wanting to be embarrassed by being the victim of a bully, and so we need to set up, we need to make sure that every student has adults that they can connect with in the building, and I know that in the past we have tried really hard to do that, and I know that they continue to do that, to make sure that students have someone that they can talk to. I know that we have set up good plans in every building in the district on how to respond to bullying and I think that staff has tried very hard to make sure that they keep an eye on students that they feel might be in jeopardy of being bullied. Um, I think it's a daunting task. I don't think it's a new one. I don't think it's going away soon. But I think we have a responsibility to just keep working at it.
2: Thank you. Uh, bullying, like uh, all forms of harassment, is just unacceptable. Unfortunately, it's not just in our schools. It's in our entire society. And I think it's important, and it's a personal issue for me as somebody who was bullied from sixth grade through eighth grade every day. And I think it's important for people to understand this information. Those kids learned it somewhere. They didn't just miraculously appear. Bullying is not necessarily assault. So we tend to loop everything today into the term bullying because it's the en vogue term. But a lot of what's going on has nothing to do with bullying. It's just pure assault. And it's, it, it's about expectations and there are expectations both at home and in school. It's about reinforcement of those expectations but it's also about us modeling behavior appropriately. And, um, you know, a lot of times bullying gets confused with discourse, uh, especially in public meeting settings is a great example. Just because somebody disagrees doesn't mean it's bullying. And I think that that's also important to understand. We have a lot of work to do everywhere. If you look nationally, you look in our state, this issue of, of um, what I would consider physical incidents occurring in schools is not unique to Milford. It's going on everywhere, and, and, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't address it as, as vigilantly and as quickly as we can, um, but I think it's much more complex than, than any one of the things that have already been mentioned. I think it's something that's going to be an ongoing process. It, in, it requires the engagement of all, which is why the, uh, the, the idea that our strategic plan talks about community and parental engagement is so critical, and it requires uh, our, our adults to model behavior that's appropriate because frankly, our adults uh, model behavior in front of our students and not all of them. It doesn't just, we could take one out of a thousand, but it gets modeled and and unfortunately, they think that that's the right behavior. And I think we really have to work on that idea of, you know, we stick up for each other, right? Treat each other the way you wanna be treated and um, you know, it is something that we have to tackle I think we are doing a decent job at trying to address the holistic issue of, uh, of behavior in general. Uh, bullying's one element of that. Um, but I don't think it, you know, there is no magic bullet. You're not gonna flick a switch tomorrow and have it go away if that were the case. I mean, I've been out of high school 35 years and it was going on when I was in middle school and before. So I just think it's important for people to, to keep that context, but to, to uh, not be accepting of it and, and work on it
3: great and David thank you um, this is a uh, much rather to fix all the schools this, this is one of the hardest things that has to be addressed in any school district um, but truly where it all lies it starts with us you know, we're the adults in the room but you look around you look around our town you come to our school board meetings there's a lot of there's a lot of adults that sometimes maybe don't act in the best of intentions and kids imitate what they see so it starts with us. It's great that we, you know, it's a part of the strategic plan that we've started to bring in social and emotional learning. Kids are very impressionable. So at the younger grades, pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, jocks is a, is a, obviously it's a hotbed this year, but they're making really awesome strides. As Mr. McLean commented, you know, we started right out of the gate with a lot of instances. We don't really hear about them that much. Yes, there are still instances of hard line bullying, you know, kids on buses, uh, you know, being attacked, being hit, whatever the, you know, they're, getting, they're being accosted on the bus. So we have to start looking at avenues about how we can remediate that because we can't account for a bus driver to correct all the bullying issues. It's just, I mean, they got to drive the bus. <laughs> you know, so what do we have to do? Do we have to start trying to find ways of putting, you know, riders on, the, on having seats that are, dedicated specifically for troublemakers because you can't just kick the kids off the bus because they still need to get to school. So it becomes a really interesting problem. So the buses are one area where a lot of bullying uh, that I've been seeing uh, talked about is occurring. Um, as far as getting into the middle and upper grades, you, now it's compounding the effect because now we're dealing as you know, social media starts to become so much more mainstream, our kids don't play like they used to. You know, so it's really tough, kids don't, you know, I. I had my fair share of times where you know I, I might have been the, the last kid picked <laughs> for dodgeball or something like that. But you know, hey, that that was the times are totally changed and different. So as far as uh, those electronic environments where it's so easy, um, and again, the kids are seeing what they imitate. Uh, they <laughs> imitate they're seeing what they're seeing. Excuse me. Um, so we as parents, we as citizens, we as staff members, we all have to be vigilant to seek out these students. Uh, that are causing these issues and we need to start putting programs in place. Uh, community engagement is uh, uh, my biggest, I'm, I'm the biggest champion for community engagement. When you get people together and you start, whether all ages, all different types and starting to you know, raise kids as a community, we start getting a greater understanding of who we are, who we can be and where we're all going to come from. We don't, we don't act that way in society anymore. It's very opposing sides. It starts with adults. The younger kids are are lucky that they're able to learn it it's a lot easier so I think that um, Milford as a community we have the power and the ability to do awesome things and we can just work together as adults to show the kids the right way to go about doing business I think we'll be better off in the long run
0: Great thank you and just to be clear Mike I did start with you right yes thought I did okay so I think we're gonna we're gonna stop with the questioning there I didn't get to all my questions but that's okay Um, so why don't we um, Go around the room with our closing statements here we'll start with Joe this time we'll go this direction
5: thank you uh, we addressed the role of the superintendent and the board tonight and even how they mix with the with the residents but what we didn't talk about was teachers and the leadership team uh, last year there was a vote of no confidence in the superintendent <clears throat> why was that done I don't know the the, the reasons but they they made them unhappy that is a major process to go through to do that was that addressed are the teachers happy now I don't know I would have to find that out but we're losing quality leaders in the last two years last year and this year uh, we lost quite a bit of staff turnover last year not the norm and if this keeps up how are you going to keep how are we going to keep quality teachers for our children without good leadership and that has to be addressed. I would like to know what, has it been addressed? Are the teachers happy with what direction they are now or are they still having those issues? All right.
0: thank you. Mike.
4: We have a lot of building to do right now. Um, we have to build relationships. Uh, we have to get to a point where we can all work together um, as a whole school system. We have some awesome teachers here. Um, we need to find out what they're unhappy with. Um, you know, reach out to them, um, see where they stand on things as well. I think that's a great thing to do to see what they feel passionate about, what where they feel that they're not being heard. And one of the things that I pride myself on is communication. Um, I'm. I love building bridges. Um, I think I can very easily work with all, at, all sides of the fence. Um, you know, we we are making strides to better the education here for the greater good of our students, and we need to keep doing that. I keep saying I'm going to be very open to meet with anyone. Um, I've said I drink a lot of coffee. I'll tell people when I'm going to Union Coffee, come meet me, let's talk. Tell me your concerns. You know, I would continue to do so as a board member. So we need to work together and make this a
3: great experience for
4: our kids.
0: Thank you. David.
3: Thanks. Um, So I always tend to think of things as, you know, a give and get, a spending type of environment that I live and breathe in every day. you know we all lose every once in a while if you ever lost $20 you, know, you get a little frustrated when you lose $20 I get a little bit more frustrated when I lose 20 minutes but dollars and minutes those are things that you know we can manage and utilize but when you really come down to it when it comes to how many times do you get to vote it's a lot less as an opportunity and votes are something that are very very hard to come by in our town so if anybody I would assume there's a lot of people watching this broadcast. Please reach out to your friends, reach out to your neighbors. We all have our passions and they all start with our kids and our community has the ability to really put forth a strong effort to right the wrongs. You know, we can put Band-Aids on our bruises, we can all come to the table and you know, the divisiveness of the past two years has to stop. Our community will get no further benefit if we keep on just riding this broken record so I'm asking you to spend some time you know think about really what's most important let's start working together let's start creating let's get back to what the Milford experience is really supposed to be Mm -hmm. so I'm asking for your vote so I can go to work for you
2: thank you Rick. Thank you. Uh, David, I'll let you know I've been very frustrated, but it's way more than $20. I have two daughters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That being said, um, you know, there's been a a bunch of great discussion tonight and dialogue. This is what it's supposed to be, right? This is what we're supposed to be able to sit here, have different ideas, um, not necessarily agree on everything, but be able to talk and be comfortable and have a conversation. It's not just Milford. This is, this is a problem everywhere in our society where we can't have a conversation. We have people that are, that are giving up lifelong relationships over politics. Nothing is more crazy in my mind than, than that. Um, I don't know the answer. What I do know is that the success of any board, any school, any public body, any private body rests in its relationships and trust. And... The thing to keep in mind is that relationships and trust require all parties to participate and contribute. And I think that that's the challenge. Change is extremely difficult. And whether whether you agree or you don't agree, um, we're in the, a, a massive change cycle um, with our educational system here in Milford. I personally believe it's, it's desperately needed and, and overdue. Uh, by saying that, I don't mean anything negative towards the folks that work here. I, don't, I think we have some phenomenal people. It doesn't mean that I don't want us to be better. And I think that's the, the thing that we really need to focus on. I'm asking for your vote because I want to continue to make decisions with a laser focus on what I believe is in the best interest of our kids getting the greatest opportunity to succeed. Thank you.
0: Judy.
1: I believe that we have a rich and diverse community here in Milford and that over and over again people have made it very clear that they support the educational system and they want what's best for our young people. I think that statement has been made so many times that it it almost becomes part of the wallpaper of our, of our town. Just recently someone said to me, do you remember the good old days when the board meetings were sparsely attended and all the business got done and nobody much thought about you know the school board and they didn't mean that as sarcastic they meant that as the days when things just rolled along and they happened and I think that that we were a different group of people at the same time and I think we've changed over the last few years and we just haven't caught up yet but we have some of the finest teachers in our schools. We have some great administrators we have a school board that cares a great deal about what's going to happen to our educational system we have a new and committed superintendent who granted has not made everybody happy certainly as you mentioned earlier but we just need to figure out what the right path is at this point I worked in the Milford school system for 21 years and I said I never worked a day in those 21 years it was passion i loved where i went every day and i loved what i did and i feel like i made a contribution so what i would like to do now is to make a different contribution i would like to become an elected member of the board and help us through what i hope is just a rough spot in our town's history right now and to get communication and civility back on track If you've watched this evening, or you've read Facebook, or you've read newspaper articles, the most important thing that I can say to you is what David already said. Whatever you decide to do, whether it's me or anybody else sitting here, just vote. On March 10th, get up, go out, and vote. It is the most important thing that you can do. It is the gift of freedom. I hope you vote for me, but please just vote.
0: Thank you very much. Oh, well, that wasn't too bad. Right? So, um, so f- thank you for participating. On a personal note, I just want to say, you know, thank you very much for, for your service. Uh, our own Dave Alcox loves to say that the highest form of, of public service is running for public office, and and he's right. You know, um, uh, we all owe you a debt of a debt of gratitude for just stepping up into this abyss and and, uh, and running for our office. You're welcome. Um, As anyone who has attended a school board meeting in the past year, I'm sure we all have, um, it's been very contentious and uncomfortable. There's no doubt that there's plenty of blame to be put on both parties, but all eyes are going to be on this new board, and two of you will be on that new board. And It'll be up to you to restore the sense of civility and and order and productivity to the board. And after listening to the five of you tonight, I'm I'm confident that regardless of who was chosen, I think Milford's going to be in very good hands, so thank you. Um, I want to thank everyone um, in attendance today and in person and those watching on Granite Tom Media. This video will be re- rebroadcast on Comcast 21 and will be available on Granite Tom Media's website. As I said earlier, an audio only version with that cool music um, will be available um, as a podcast on Milford's Inside Milford podcast maybe tomorrow. Uh, Finally, I want to encourage everyone, as you've all said, to come out and vote on Tuesday, March 10th from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the Milford Middle School. Thank you, everyone, and good night. Thank you.